Oh, by the way, if you're new, if this is your first time, my name is Craig. I'm the preaching pastor here at Generations. We're really glad that you're with us. Hope this is the first of many times uh, together with us. We've been on Heaven on Earth uh, through Advent and then Christmas, and then we've kind of extended it so we can kind of talk about uh, Jesus, what happened to Jesus in the early days after uh, he was born. So we're going to wrap it up uh, today uh, and, and look at another passage. Um, and, and I just want to say we are going to start a new series next week called Leaky Faith. It's about how to share, how to share your faith with others uh, in a way that doesn't put people off and, and create, you know, all oh, those Christians kind of a thing uh, out there. Um, because there are some ways of sharing faith that I'm not sure really bring people into faith. And so we'll be talking about that. But uh, as a part of our, our series, all of my series, um, I always have a uh, um, memory verse. And so let's say this together one last time. This is where we get the idea of heaven coming to earth. It's from the Lord's Prayer. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6, 9, and 10. Um, so what we want to talk about today uh, is Jesus' presentation at the temple. It's found in Luke uh, chapter 2. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to that passage. Um, let me, let me kind of set it up for you just a little bit here. Um, I told you last week, I've told you from time to time, whenever you're looking at Scripture, one of the questions you ask is, why is this here? Why was this important enough that, in this case, Luke or whoever the author was, decided to write it down? Because back in those days, you didn't have a word processor, and you had to put it on parchment, and that was expensive. And, and so they were picky about what got in and what didn't get in. So everything that's in is there for a particular reason. And this is a particularly confusing passage, because it's a passage about uh, Jesus' circumcision and then his uh, present, presentation at the, the temple and Mary's purification. And it's confusing because in those days, everybody would have done that, okay? It was just everybody. You didn't, why, why do you need to tell us that? We would assume that that happened just because it's a part of it. So the fact that it happened isn't necessarily why this passage is in there. It, it has a, a message for us. We'll talk a bit about some of those messages. But one of those messages uh, is, uh, and I think is really important, and that is that, that Jesus was involved with a great deal of ritual, Ritual was important to Jesus' life and to his spiritual growth. Uh, and we, unfortunately, sometimes I think in the evangelical world, we get hung up on the passage of Scripture that says, you know, to avoid empty rituals, right? Only we leave the word empty out and we say avoid ritual. But that's not what it says. It actually says empty rituals, right? And so uh, ritual was a deep part of, of Christ's life. And, and I don't want to be involved in a ritual that's empty, but there are a lot of rituals that are, are powerful for your spiritual life, and we'll uh, look at that. So um, let's, let's uh, walk through the passage this morning. Uh, on the eighth day, when it was time to be circ circumcised the child. So a couple of things. Last week, we looked at something, the coming of the Magi that was a couple of years probably after Christ was born. This is literally eight days, a week and a day this happened. So we're doing the passage between Jesus' birth and the, and the Magi. Uh, and he was circumcised. Okay, uh, every Jewish boy would have been, been circumcised. There was a ceremony that went around it. Uh, before this, uh, often the fathers would do it, but at this stage of the first century, they think probably there were 
special rabbis that uh, took care of this that would go to them and, and go through the ceremony. Uh, and he was named. So he was circumcised and he was given a name. Uh, and the name was Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So important name. Uh, when the time came for the purification rites, required by the law of Moses. Now, I'm just going to tell you, this is uh, after a woman had given birth, there was a certain period of time in which she was considered ceremonially unclean. If it was a boy, it was 40 days. If a woman, it was, if it was a girl, it was 80 days, right? Sorry, ladies, I didn't make the rules, okay? Um, so uh, 40 days have gone by. She has to go through a ceremony. It's actually a lot like a baptism. It was a ceremonial bath that would be down and, and uh, brought up and, and then thought and clean. Uh, so required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Okay, this is another factor in this. Uh, the presentation of the Lord comes back to the rules it talks about here. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. So the law of the Lord required that the firstborn of anything be consecrated to the Lord. So if you had a goat, when it had its first child, uh, you would give that, you'd offer it in sacrifice to God. Obviously, sacrificing your children is a bad idea. Amen? Okay, so we just, we don't do that, and that goes all the way back to Abraham and Isaac, where it was very, very clear, we don't sacrifice children. So what you had to do, the law required that you would buy the child back, that you would redeem the child, that you would purchase them uh, back. And so that's what happens uh, with what's going on with this. So uh, it's now 40 days out, uh, and Mary's going to go through purification rites and, and the presentation, the redemption of the child. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of, Mo, of the Lord, a pair of uh, doves and two young pigeons. So by this, we know that they were very poor. Okay? In the ancient world, uh, and even a lot of countries today, there is no middle class. There are rich people and poor people. And then amongst poor people, there were really poor people. And because they are offering the offering for the poorest of the poor people, we know that Mary and Joseph were very, very poor. Kind of makes them like us, amen? Well, not really. We're actually probably rich by their standards. Um, so, um, so a couple of things. We talked about the presentation uh, and, and, and that piece of it and the circumcision. So we have circumcision, we have naming, we have presentation, and we have the redemption of the child or the presentation of the child. We got that? Okay. So let's talk a little bit about this. Here's what I think is important. One of the things that's really important out of this passage is this. Ritual connects us. Ritual connects us uh, to God, connects us to one another, uh, connects us to ourself, uh, all of those sorts of things. But ritual is super important in, in, in that. Um, and, and it's because the, the connection that's made in ritual that God gave his people lots and lots of ritual. It's just everywhere. Uh, and all the time, they're doing it all the time. I'm going to read you a bunch of them uh, a little later on. But I want you to get this idea that, that ritual uh, was really important in Jesus' life and in the first century for Jews, because I think it can become more important in our lives as well and help us. So let's, let's step into this, where it's, it works. Sacred ritual connects us to God, okay? It connects us to God. At the end of this service, we are going to have communion. And I've been in the ministry long enough that I have done communion for a long time. And so often I won't participate in the actual part of it because I want you guys to have that experience. But I can't tell you how often people have come and looked me in the eye and sometimes they have tears 
And I know what's going on in life because they were in my office earlier and there's this powerful moment when they come again and they know God's forgiveness and God's grace and no matter how badly they've failed, God's love for them and he invites them to the table. There's a powerful connection that often happens in communion, amen? Uh, And I hope you do that. I hope when we come to communion, you give yourself a moment to to make space for God in your life uh, and to listen. Um, The baptism is a ritual that we all love. And and when we baptize someone, they have this powerful experience. But you all shout and holler and yell and it never fails. It's like you all go out going, that was a great service. Even when I know the sermon wasn't all that good, you know? So so I love to have baptisms because no matter how I do in the sermon, everybody's going, that was a great service, man. Why? Because baptism connects you to God. And I say, remember your, your, your baptism. Uh, we just came through the Advent season where we lit the candles and, of waiting and, and then the, the Christ candle that we, we lit on Christmas Eve together. And, and then we pass the light in this ritual where we say Jesus is the light of the world after we've read that. And it starts out all dark in here with the one thing and then it passes. And, and pretty soon you can kind of see each other and you can hear each other going, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. It goes from from the deep voices of fathers, Jesus is the light of the world, to a little kid going, Jesus is the light of the world. You know, there's something powerful about that. There's something, there's a God connection that that happens in that. Even things like our Ash Wednesday service, when we put Ash Wednesday and ask you to remember that you're mortal, you're all gonna die, by the way, praise God. You know, there's something about that. And Good Friday with the the light of the world leaving, and baby dedications, when you're reminded of your connection to the next generation, and you bring your child like Christ was brought uh, to, to be a part of your family and a part of the community, the laying on of hands and praying and anointing with oil. In fact, my, my cancer journey, I, I, I think the point where I was healed was after I, just a couple of months after I had been diagnosed and it looked really, really bad, we had district assembly, which is where all the churches of the area of the Nazarene gather down in Olympia. And our district superintendent, who you already know I'm really close to, or was really close to, he's in heaven, um, he, he laid hands on me and then the whole district assembly gathered. I have a picture. It's like hundreds of people that are all stacked up laying hands on me. And when he was praying, I felt a shift. And I happen to know that he's had that happen many times where people have been healed while he was praying for them. And I think it was during this laying on of hands that the Lord healed me, right? And all of a sudden I responded well to everything and everything happened. There's something about this. And so for Joseph, understand that that circumcision was something that connected him to God right? Because he knew that, that he was a child of covenant because he had been circumcised, and he knew that this child that was his was a child of covenant, that it belonged to God, and that God was watching out for this child, and that God was involved in the, in the process. Spiritual ritual connects us to God. Amen? Okay. Uh, and then spiritual connection connects spiritual Sacred spiritual connections connects us to each other, even if your preacher can't talk very well, okay? Um, and this is the, the shared experience part of it. This, this makes perfect sense, right? What, what's the, the whole of our religion is love God with your whole being, love each other like family, right? So ritual connects us to God, ritual connects us to, to one another because in these rituals, you become a part of something that is important to us. Um, when, when the child would be circumcised, there was a sense in which it's brought into the community. You are one of us. For good, for bad, for struggle, for all that it means to be a Jew, for all that it means to be a child of Coven, you are one of us. And we have these same sort of things that, that make us connected to one another, right? 
I'm guessing there aren't very many churches you go to where they say, holy party. <laughs> Y'all know what holy party is? Right? That, that's us. That's a, that's a ritual that we have in the life of the church. And I won't let you say holy party, right? Because that, that's not the It's whole, say it. Whole. Oh, very, very good. See, we are one. We're connected. If you know how to say that, you belong here, okay? Or if I say, God loves you, I love you. Ritual, connectedness to one uh, another in, in all of this. Or if I say family, you automatically know what I'm talking about, right? There's, the word is filled with meaning. That's all ritual and connected to us that's, that's important. Uh, and so for Joseph, this was in the circumcision Jesus went through was to say, Jesus is a part of the community. He's a part of the Jewish uh, family. He is, he is one of them. And, and then the other thing they did was the naming of the child. And you might remember, uh, still in Catholicism, they do this. You receive your name when you were baptized as an infant. Uh, and, and in the Jewish family, uh, they received their name uh, when, they, when they came for this presentation 40 days in. Uh, and, and in the ancient world, um, your name was a reflection of your character, right? So whatever name they gave to you, that was, that was what you were like. And if you've read the Old Testament, sometimes people get really awful names. It's like, you know, you kind of want to go, oh, that's kind of child abuse, you know, like, you know. But, but Jesus was the name, of course, given by the angel. Normally it would be the name of someone in the family, you know, so like maybe it's grandpa or uncle. Because, you know, Grandpa was a great man of God. We want him to be like Grandpa, so you give him Grandpa's name, you know, that kind of a thing. But here's what the name Jesus means. In fact, it doesn't, he wasn't actually named Jesus. In fact, in the first century, no one ever said the words Jesus. They would have said Yahshua. Say Yahshua. Yeah, kind of related to the word Joshua. So Yahshua was uh, the Hebrew way of saying it. And it means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh is my help. That's a pretty good name for a Messiah. Don't you think, you know? I mean, that, 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 and it certainly reflected the character uh, of Jesus. And so there's something powerful that happens when, when they come to the naming ceremony that, that says you're a part of us and this is what, what you do. We, we do that in baby dedications. If you've been around when we did one of those, and by the way, if you have a child that hasn't been dedicated to the Lord yet, talk to me. I would love to, to do that. Uh, but, but you know, I kind of give a charge to the parents. I don't really do a warm and fuzzy baby dedication. I do a, hey dude, you got some responsibilities here and you better keep them up and you're taking vows before God right now. You know, just kind of my personality, you know. And then I turn around to you and I say basically the same thing to you. This child is ours, amen? Is a part of the community that we care for one another. Uh, that's that's a, that ritual that connects us. Or, or uh, on Christmas, on the fourth Sunday of Advent, when we had all the children up here singing, right? You all felt a sense of ownership to them and connection to them, and they felt a sense of ownership and connection to you. How many of you were in a children's choir or a children's play at Christmas when you were growing up? Yeah, <laughs> you, it's us. It's, you're part of us. We're, we're together in, in, in all of that. A marriage vows, same sort of thing. Marriage vows are you make commitments to one another, but you do that in front of the church of Jesus Christ because we believe marriage is a public thing. We want to hold you accountable for that. We want to support you when you're struggling. We want to be a part of, of helping out and getting you through that because it's a part of this connection that we have amongst one another. Or, or intergenerational volunteering. We talk about that around here. I love the intergenerational volunteering that we have in the life of our church. And we're going to see some of that at, at, at communion. One of the people serving one of them is a father and a daughter, right? You know, I, Christmas Eve, I, I, um, 
I came in and we were getting ready and all of this. And over here at this door, we had a father and son that were, that were playing usher there. And I thought, yes, intergenerational volunteering, amen? We, that, that's ritual, that's a part of our, our life and how we're put together. And so this is super important, not only to your relationship to God, but to your relationship with your children and your family. There can be ritual that's established that connects you to one another and, and, and in deepens the relationship with one another. And then um, ritual, uh, sacred ritual connects us to ourselves. Um, when I have a chance to take communion when I'm not in charge, <laughs> when we go to district events, they, they always serve us communion because it's one of the few times we can go there and if something goes wrong, it's like, I don't care. <laughs> we can just sit there and Every time I come to those moments where I, I, I pause and I, I pray a little before, before I go and I take the Lord's table, sorry, this still gets to me. And if someone says to me, the body of Christ, which is broken for you. And sometimes we know each other's names, so it might be the body of Christ, which is broken for Craig, right? And his blood, which was shed for you. I am reminded of a God that loves me so much he would step in front of the consequences of my sins and take it himself. And that he includes me in the family of God with all of my faults and my flaws and my struggles and the places where sometimes I just, I get it wrong, man. And he loves me anyway. And it's a powerful moment for me in that moment. It's a, a connection to my identity. It is the realization that my identity does not come from what I do, but from what Christ has done for me. Amen? You have your identity. I, if the devil comes along and says you're worthless, you just got to say he's a liar. You know, you're a liar. Or if you really want to get him, say, take it up with Jesus. He died for me. Right? You know? Because that's, there's something about this thing for him. It centers me. It calls me back to my vow to follow God and my vow to serve his church when I was ordained. There's something powerful, something sacred about that that connects me uh, to myself and remembering all that God has done. And then, sacred rituals connect us to our past and God's future. Um, the, the rituals that we have are passed down from generation to generation to generation. I especially understand in that communion that we're going to take again. From the very earliest days of the church, Jesus himself established this meal. And it was passed to a bunch of disciples that were a bunch of messed up, ugh. And they passed it to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And somewhere you took your first, com- your first communion and it was passed from one generation to you. And then we have passed it to the next generation. We will tell the next generation. Amen? And there's a, a connectedness to, to our past in all of this and in, in all of these ceremonies. Uh, it, 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 the firm knowledge that it will be passed to my children and their children and that my grandchildren and great-grandchildren will come to the table of the Lord and hear the words, the body of Christ which was broken for you and his blood which was shed for you when I am long gone and in heaven. Thanks be to God for the ritual of the church that binds us together in so many ways. Our children and our children's children and our children's children. I love the song where we talk about a thousand generations with all of that, that God is watching over them. There's a connection to the past and there is a connection to our future because the table is a reminder that not even death wins. And we will see them again, amen? Okay. I just told you you're going to live forever and you're, amen, you know. We're going we to live forever in heaven, amen? Yeah. 
Oh, good, you actually believe that because you're gonna be here a long time. I had a whole other sermon I was gonna have to preach if you didn't get that, okay? And then um, sacred ritual invokes the presence of God. In every one of the rituals that Jesus went to, there's an invoking, there's a, 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 an understanding of inviting God's presence in. Not because God isn't there before, but because what ritual does is make us aware. It tunes us in to God's presence, amen? Because God is everywhere all the time. The problem isn't with God, the problem is with us. And in sacred ritual, we begin to connect the, to this. Uh, it, it begins to help us understand how God uh, is, is working in, in our world in so many ways. It invokes his presence, it invites God to be a part of it. Uh, and, and we do this, it, you know, there are different ways for different people that, that it works, you know. For me, uh, if, I'm, if I'm in a place where I'm, I'm really wanna pray, when I pray for you guys, when I pray kind of my work of, of prayer, I, I almost always will go find a place where I can kneel. Just because when I was growing up, kneeling was how you really prayed, right? You know, it wasn't until later on that people brought all this newfangled stuff like walking through the woods and praying, you know? It's crazy. Although I suppose God hears you either way, amen? So you walk through the woods and pray, that's okay, because that's actually my point, right? Kneeling doesn't make it more holy, but for me, it just opens me up to God in a particular kind of way. In fact, you know, if I say to you, uh, you know, uh, bow your heads, you automatically know ritualistic what I'm going to do, right? Bow your heads. And, and I think that's a good way to pray, to bow your heads. It's a way of acknowledging God, you know, close your eyes, bow your heads and close your eyes, and it shuts out all the world for an ADHD person. That's a really good thing. But that is not always the best way to pray. Some of you pray in your car. Do not bow your head and close your eyes. Please, okay? I don't want to visit you in the hospital. It's just, you know, it's, but, but, and you will know what yours is. Maybe it's walking through the woods. You know, I know people that that's where they just really connect with God. But it, it connects us, uh, invokes the presence of God uh, in, in our lives uh, in all kinds of ways. You know, Catholics will genuflex and the people will say, that's not in the Bible. That's not the point. You know, the point is that it connects them, it opens them, it, it invokes the presence of, of God in our lives in all kinds of wonderful uh, sorts of ways. Um, so, having kind of talked about all that, let's come back to kind of what was going on in Jesus' life. Jesus' life would have been filled with religious ritual. Just filled. Anyone know what the, the box on his head and his hand is and the thing that's wrapped around? I actually told you this a couple of years ago. Always good to know that it's working. <laughs> it's a tuffelin. Say tuffelin. Tough. I think it's tuffelin actually. Um, and it's those two boxes that are on there, uh, and they're filled with uh, with scrolls, with little tiny scrolls. Uh, and and a boy, when he kind of hit the age of bar mitzvah, they did a little different thing from bar mitzvah back then. But he would he would. This is when he becomes a man, at least for re religious reasons, to have enough Jews to to have a meeting. And they would put this on him. His father would put it on him the first time. And there's a ceremony as they they kind of introduce him to. Okay, now you you're, you're grown up. And uh, and then every time he put it on after that, he would cover his eyes and he would pray the Shema. And let me, let me, so that you'd hear this. Every day this boy would say this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. And so Jesus, every day, 
after age 12 or 13, whenever they did it back then, uh, he would do that. This, this would happen to Jesus, and he would say, and he would do the prayer. Can you imagine how that builds in scripture and spirituality into a boy to do that, you know, every single day over and over again? And there were lots of other rituals. Get this, this is kind of a list. This is not exhaustive at all. But all of these involved ritual. There was circumcision and dedication at the temple, you know. There was regular times for prayer and for fasting. There was the tefillin. Uh, there was public reading of scripture that they were expected to do once this happened. They had to recite prayers. Uh, there was sacred celebrations. There was Passover, big deal. Yom Kippur, new moon festivals, feast of weeks, feast of tabernacles, feast of unleavened bread. Man, did they know how to feast. <laughs> Uh, there was Hanukkah and Mikvah and, and Sabbath. I mean, when I say holy party, people say that's not, that's not biblical. Yes, it is. Just read the Old Testament. They were holy partying all the time, you know? Just it was one after. And some of those things lasted days that they were a part of that. And then Jesus established baptism and the Lord's Supper, which are sacraments, uh, foot washing, uh, reciting the new prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that we'll do uh, as we get close to, to communion here in a minute, uh, laying on of hands, anointing with oil. In fact, the next time we see Jesus, he's being taken to the temple because he's probably reached that bar mitzvah age. And, and it says, the passage says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. So they were observant Jews. There was just this feeling of this. So, Here's what I know about this. We've talked about ritual, and you're all going, that's cool, but that's, that's a lot of ritual. Uh, I, I don't really do much in the way of ritual. But I believe with all of my heart, you love ritual and are entirely immersed in it. And then she said, you're going, not me. Not, 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 not me. So what happens when you go to a, like a football game or something, and all of a sudden the national anthem starts to play? What do you do? Stand up. What else? What else, guys? Take off your hat, and where do you look? And you don't think that's ritual. <laughs> that is ritual through and through and through. You, you, you do that. In fact, you get irritated if somebody else doesn't do that, right? If somebody's sitting there, and they're not just like, ah, that, that, that's sort of the piece of it. And, and there's, there's all kinds of other things uh, like that. Um, like if you get sworn in for a jury, or you get sworn in and become a citizen, what do you do? Raise your hand. And then they use words that are ritualistic. They say the same words. You make the same vow. It, it, it's, a, it's a ritual when you do that. Uh, or, or, or when you, you go to a, a, like a big gymnasium and your kid is there and they've got robes on, they've got a kind of cardboard hat on, and you start to hear the music. Da, 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 da. That's as far as I'll go because you'll have to fix it on the video. What do you call that? Ritual, yeah, it's graduation. It's filled with all kinds of, uh, of ritual. In it. And you participate in any, and you love it. There's none of you that when your kid graduates from high school going, ah, I don't think so. It's too ritualistic, right? The ritual is what makes it powerful in, in, in that. Um, you know, uh, and, and by the way, just to tell you why that's important, um, I, I used to pastor in a place that was urban, very urban, very multicultural. Um, and when we went to my, my daughter's graduation, we were in First Baptist Church that seats 4,000 people, right? This high, these high schools were gigantic. And so we were excited about that, you know, for Jana. She was already ready to go to college and all of that. Sitting next to two African-American women, um, and they had given us this rule, do not get out of your seat to take pictures. Don't, that we're going to throw you out if you do that. Don't do that because we can't have all these people moving around. Uh, and the gal next to us, when their child came up, just before their child came, they got out 
gal, the, the younger gal, got up and went way up forward and took a picture as her daughter went across and got it. And of course, the guards were coming and we got her in there and kind of hit her, you know. And I was like, oh, I don't know who that was, that kind of a thing. And I said to her after, I said, why, why did you risk getting thrown out of that? And she said, because my daughter is the first one in our family ever to graduate from high school. Right? Right? So, so all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, we need a new rule for graduation because that's not okay with that person. I mean, I mean, we knew we could see her. It was a long way for our daughter, and we knew she was going to college, and it'd be blah, 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 blah. But wow, in that moment, that ritual mattered so much to them. Ritual is powerful, and, and we actually, we like it. I mean, there's all kinds of other things. What, what do you have at a birthday party? cake. Yeah, you all know what that is. That's called a ritual. And what do you do before you blow the light, the, the candles out? Ritual. You see this, you guys, you all, you're involved in all kinds of uh, things in, in, in your life. Uh, in fact, you have probably personal rituals. One for us is on Christmas morning when we get up, before we open any presents, I make a giant breakfast for the whole family. It's like bacon and eggs and hash browns and sweet rolls. I know it's not any good for you, but sometimes sin tastes wonderful. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> That's just our personal one. It's a ritual for us. And now that the kids are grown, they're only with us every other Christmas. And so this Christmas, they weren't. They were with us Thanksgiving. And so Jody and I got up and we're kind of looking at each other going, yeah, I'm not fixing that whole big breakfast. Right? It's, it's a ritual. It's meaningful to us. So admit it. You love ritual. Okay. <laughs> Some of you are being honest. You love, you love, if you're in the military, you're involved in a ton uh, of ritual. So here's what I know. There's tremendous spiritual power in ritual. And this is a picture of our, uh, our Christmas Eve service uh, when this place is just filled and it lights up and the power of that, that, that moment. I, I want to encourage you to participate in the ritual of the church. Okay, and that includes just coming to church. That's a part of the, the ritual. I want to encourage you to, to create ritual in your own life. Maybe it circles around your devotions or, or prayer. I shared how prayer for me and, and, and maybe scripture memorization. What, whatever it is, a ritual helps us listen to God. Okay? It helps us. It pauses us. It puts us in the right sort of thing. If you've gone to school very long, when I'm doing new sermons and when I really need to study, I leave this place and I go down to Seattle Pacific University because I've been to so much school that there's something about a, an academic library that just puts me in the learning and working mood. And I go up to the second floor and I go to like a cubby hole way in the back. And I look like a hermit back there with all my books. And if the students go by and they're like, hello, I'm a, <laughs> you know. Why? Because it's a ritual that, that puts me, it opens me up to what I need to do academically. And so it is with our spiritual. There's great spiritual power in that. And then um, Jesus observed the Sabbath, and, and I want to, Sabbath was the most important commandment. That's why the Pharisees, uh, Sadducees got so upset when he broke Sabbath. That's when he really got ticked off with all of that. Uh, but, but I want to just tell you how this began. Every week, Jesus would observe Sabbath, and it would begin with the wife, the, the mother, who would light the candles in preparation. It would start on Friday night because the day started on the evening before. Uh, and, and she would light the candle, and she would bring this into her, and then she would cover her eyes, and she would pray this prayer. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with your commands and commanded us to kindle the Sabbath candle. And then the prayer would be over. And then... 
the husband would bless his wife, right? Out of, out of the Psalm 31, the Proverbs 31, the passage about a, a, a woman and, and all the great things that were about it. Can you see how this would work against the culture of the time that said women weren't very valuable? See, God's been working on that one for a long time to say, no, 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 this whole treating women like property, this whole treating women like second, that is not God. That's not, that's why in our denomination, a woman can be ordained. That's why in our general superintendent's highest office in land where there's a a woman general superintendent because they're so valuable. But here's the part I really want you to to get in. Um, any, Any of you think you were perfect parents? Oh, good. You're all with me here. I, I was not a perfect parent. My wife and children remind me sometimes. Um, but one of the things, if I could go back and change, is I would introduce this ceremony, this ritual, if you will, into the life of my family. What would happen is after the, the husband had, had blessed the parents, he would gather the children, and he would lay his hands on their heads, and he would um, bless them with this passage from Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I can't help but wonder what kind of impact it would have had if I had gathered my children every single week and said that over them, put my hand on their head, not on their shoulder, on their head, because you don't use the head is like, okay, this is a different sort of thing. And I had pronounced God's blessing on them week after week after week after week, and you build that into them. Man, if I could do it over, I would do that. The power, the power of ritual. So, I encourage you, build sacred ritual into your life and family. Participate in the life of the church and the rituals that are a part of that. But do your own ones. And I, and I, I don't know what that looks like. That looks like different. If you still got kids at home, I would encourage you to try that one with the, uh, with the, the thing on there. It, it's Numbers 6, 24 and 26 is where you'll find that, that passage to bless your, your children. Uh, be a part of community ritual, family ritual, personal ritual. You will be amazed as to what it does for your life. And I'm an ADHD person saying that because ritual was hard for me. When I went to seminary, I had some friends that it was really easy for them, and they just always pushed me at that point. And over the years, I have built deep ritual into my life, into my prayer life. I have a way I always start my prayer life, some things I check off and some, some scripture I, I, I pray to God. And I find it to be incredibly powerful for me, and I think it would be for you as well. And then... The most sacred sacrament was the sacrament of communion in the Christian church. And so um, we're going to move into a time of celebrating the ritual of communion that was given to us by the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. I want to say to parents, uh, I, I mean to say this all the time, I always forget, you are free if you would like to go and pick up your children and bring them in and have communion with them, with them together, okay? Uh, sometimes families will come in and, and dip it all in the, the, the juice together and eat it when we say the body of Christ and his blood which was shed for you uh, to, to bring them in. We love to have the children be a part of it. Um, so that also though raises a question that someone brought up to me. Why do we let children take communion and why do we let children help serve communion? Okay, and there's a couple of reasons. Number one, they have not reached the age of accountability, so their hearts are pure, okay? Purer than whoever the adult is up there, right? Uh, There's no sin in their lives. Secondly, there's nothing in Scripture that prohibits it. 
Okay? And, and again, they are learning by doing. They are learning by being a part of, of, of that ritual and, and, and how they, they do that. Uh, and so uh, not, it's not about worthiness. That's just really not it at all. Because the truth of the matter is none of us are worthy. Amen? I have people every once in a while come to me and say, well, I'm not worthy for something or other. And I'm going, exactly. And they always look at me like, what? I'm going, you're not worthy. Neither is anybody else. We all make it by grace. Amen? So if those who are going to help us with the uh, communion, if you would uh, come at, at this time and, and prepare for us. Uh, I do want to kind of give you some little instructions, and then I'm going to read the ritual that we have uh, as a part of it. Uh, number one, uh, all this intinction where we dip it in and then we eat it, that's all gluten-free. Uh, we are going to have on the two sides the self-contained units uh, as well. Uh, and you're welcome. Those are not gluten-free. There's not much gluten in them, but they are not gluten-free. So I want to ask you to, to come down this aisle. We have one-way aisles. Come down this aisle and come down the two far aisles and go back through these. Does that make sense? Come this way and this way, and then this all feeds into these two aisles on the side so that we're not kind of walking over uh, one another. You got that? About six of you got it. You got that? Okay, okay, good. So I uh, would invite you to do that. The communion supper instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a sacrament which proclaims his life, his suffering, his sacrificial death and resurrection, and the hope of his coming again. It shows forth the Lord's death until his return. The supper is a means of grace by which Christ is present by the Spirit, it is to be received in reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Christ. All those who are truly repentant, forsaking their sins, and believing in Christ for salvation are invited to participate in the death and resurrection of Christ. We come to the table that we may be renewed in life and salvation and made one by the Spirit. In unity with the church, we confess our faith. Let's say this together. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? We gather at this your table in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners, and established the new covenant of forgiveness of sins. We live in the hope of his coming again. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread, gave thanks broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we gather as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving, Pour out your Holy Spirit on us, on these your gifts. Make them by the power of your Spirit to be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be, in, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all of the world until Christ comes in final victory. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said... And now as Christ has taught us, let us pray his prayer. Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We come, we invite you to come to the Lord's table by the invitation of God himself. Let us worship the Lord together. Hey church family, thank you so much for watching this video. We hope that God is inspiring you and working in your life. If so, make sure you send this video to a friend so that they can be impacted by the good news of the gospel as well. Make sure you like and subscribe to the channel so that you don't miss a single video. And as always, we hope that God is continuing to work and move in your life. Thanks again for watching. God bless.